Welcome to When It Goes Wrong, the podcast exploring disasters, accidents, and times when everything falls apart. I'm Jasmine, your host, and on this episode, we'll be discussing some shipping disasters. We'll discuss the MS Estonia, which was a ferry which sank when crossing from Estonia to Sweden in 1994, and one is the deadliest maritime disasters of all time. We'll then discuss the TEV Wahini, which sank in 1968 off the Wellington Harbour, and then the MS Herald of Free Enterprise, a car roll-on, roll-off ferry which capsized near Belgium in 1987. Thanks, everyone, for listening. First episode of 2023, also first episode in my new house, so very exciting on both fronts. First time recording in a different space, so Fingers crossed it uh, works, <laughs> otherwise I'll have to kind of move around the house to try and find the uh, the bit that, that works the best. But yes, really looking forward to this episode. I combined a few things together. I was originally going to do Perfect Storm and I'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Uh, but yeah, I decided to combine a few together that were quite similar uh, for us to, to work our way through. Uh, and these were requested. So uh, the MS Estonia was requested by quite a few people actually. Sophie on email um, and Lida and Linda both on Instagram requested the MS Estonia. And the Wahini uh, was requested by Kieran on Instagram as well. Um, and I'm sure someone on email requested it as well, but I couldn't find it. So glad that we're finally getting around to doing it. As a quick reminder before uh, before we get into it, please do uh, give me a rating. Tell someone about, tell a friend about the podcast. Um, and also, if you don't mind, please do follow me on Instagram. I'm at when it goes wrong pod. I'm really trying to get to my next kind of Instagram milestone. So even if you don't use it that much, I'd really appreciate a, a follow over there for, for, yeah, to help kind of grow, grow that audience. It's for one of my goals for 2023. So thank you. Cool. So we're going to start with the MS Estonia. First of all, in preparation for this episode, I googled the difference between a boat and a ship. So I want to be <laughs> correct because I feel like when I was writing it, I was like, I just kept using boat and ship interchangeably. And I was like, let me just check what the difference is. So according to the internet, vessels intended for navigation of coastal and inland waters are generally called boats, whilst ocean going vessels are generally called ships. So there we go. And generally, boat, a boat is smaller than a ship. But a boat can just be a general term for any form of <laughs> vessel that goes on the sea. So that's why it's confusing. But yes, generally boats are smaller than ships. Ships are bigger. And it says, uh, it said on the internet, always remember the quote of a ship can carry a boat, but a boat can't carry a ship. So there you are. Uh, and a fun way, <laughs> a fun fact. So everything we're going to talk about today is a ship. Uh, so it is shipping disasters, not boating disasters. We're there. So we're going to start with the MS Estonia. Um, and MS, I also learned this, stands for motor ship. So basically, I always thought that the letters like before a ship's name, like, I don't know, stood for sort of like the country or something, but they don't. They just stand for the type of ship that the ship is. I was going to say the boat. This is going to be fun. That the ship is. Um, and so, yeah, the MS Estonia was a cruise ferry. And it was built in 1980. And it was basically made for like short ferry journeys or short cruises. So it was a bit of a combination between a ferry and a cruise ship. So it would do like like journeys of about one to two days. So enough time that you are kind of ferrying someone from, from point A to point B, but you're doing it for long enough that actually uh, you want it to be comfortable and a bit more like a cruise. It would have, it had many different decks. It had decks for, it had a car deck uh, where the cars and the cargo could, could be stored, where all the luggage, etc., was. It had staff decks, different kind of, you know, like plant decks and then passenger decks. And on the passenger decks, they had things that you would expect on a, on a cruise ship. So things like cabins, restaurants, pubs. Uh, there was a pool, a cinema and a nightclub. So it definitely kept you kept you busy. But yeah, basically things that people can use and, and keep entertained whilst on, on these short, short hops uh, over the ocean. And basically how you loaded the ship with all of the cargo was through what they called the bow opening. So basically if you think about like a ship and what it looks like, uh, the whole nose basically of the front of the ship would open up a ramp would come down and then you would be able to just drive cars, uh, cargo, 
anything just directly straight onto the ship uh, and then be able to store it and then it meant that getting off was much easier as well when you then arrived at the location you were going to again just kind of take the bow nose down or up uh, the visor the ramp comes down uh, and then the cars and the and the other cargo can come off and what the the benefit of that was that it just made it a whole lot easier in order to load the ferry uh, that they could they could enter under their own steam rather than the the uh, cargo have to be loaded onto it themselves. So if we kind of go back prior to the maritime disaster we're going to talk about, uh, the ship was actually known as the MS Viking Sally. Uh, as its original name and it had actually been quite the home of some crime before before the big the big incident so in 1986 when the ship was going from turku in finland to stockholm uh, there was a murder on board uh, a man called rejo hammer murdered a businessman called anti aljala and Hammer basically tried to like steal some money off Aljala from his wallet in his cabin. Uh, Aljala then threatened that he was going to report that to the police, report Hammer to the police. Uh, and in response, Hammer stabbed him five times in the throat with a dinner knife and then strangled him to death with a bedsheet. So not good. But that was, yeah, just the start of kind of deaths on this ship. So that was in 1986 and was quite infamous because Hammer, who did it, got incarcerated, following it, obviously, but then escaped and then became a kind of an on-the-run man. It was quite the, quite the story. Then in 1987, so just the following year, uh, there were two students travelling on board, Klaus Schelk and Bettina Taxis. Uh, and they were some students, a couple together, and they were traveling to Finland at that point. And they were um, viciously attacked and one of them murdered on the ship. So they had basically taken their sleeping bags. It was a bit of a warmer time. They'd taken their sleeping bags to a bit of the, a sheltered bit of the deck to, to sleep. Uh, and then in the middle of the night, some Boy Scouts kind of found them and just found them like totally covered in blood and like very heavily injured. They had really bad head injuries. So clearly someone had come along in the night and fully attacked them uh, until they were discovered. And so they were airlifted to hospital. They acted very quickly. Uh, but unfortunately, Klaus died uh, and Bettina managed to managed to recover, but with, with serious injury. Um, and so, yeah, that's also quite a famous murder in, in the Nordics because no one ever, there's never been anyone uh, arrested or charged for it. So uh, obviously it was, uh, it was on a boat. So it had to be someone that was on the boat, ship, but they never figured out who it was. And there, there's been years and years of investigation going back through everyone that was on the ship, uh, interviewing everyone. Uh, and they did kind of come close a few times where they thought maybe they had found someone uh, and and took someone to court, but it's never it's never made it all the way through to charge. So, yeah, the case is still considered unsolved to this day. So yeah, they were just two two kind of precursors, I guess, to to the the fateful day that we're going to talk about now uh, that happened on on the ship. So we're moving forward now to September the twenty eighth, nineteen ninety four, uh, and the MS Estonia was taking the journey from Tallinn in Estonia to Stockholm in Sweden. And this journey takes around about 18 hours, goes through the Baltic Sea, it goes past Finland. And it was a route that was very common. It had been done quite a lot before. Uh, it linked also, the bit of ocean linked also to Helsinki. So it was a very like busy, busy bit of ocean. Lots of ferries, lots of cargo and, and goods being moved around. It was, yeah, a busy, busy bit of water. And on that night, uh, it was dark and the weather was quite bad. So there was high winds. There was quite a big storm passing through the area at that time. Uh, and people knew about it. They knew that the storm was there. They had assessed it. And generally, everyone was like, yep, it's going to be a rough ride, uh, but, it's, but it's fine. So they all headed out uh, as planned. Uh, and many, yeah, many boats and, and ferries made this decision uh, across out into the Baltic. And one of them was the MS Estonia. And on the Estonia that night, there were 989 people on board, of which 803 were passengers and 186 were crew. Generally, most of the passengers were Swedish and most of the crew were from Estonia. 
the ferry proceeded as as normal from its its uh, from Tallinn out into the into the ocean. Uh, it was it was going along at a standard speed. Everything was was progressing as expected. But obviously, it was a wet, a wet and windy night, and so it was it wasn't smooth. It was a very rough ride. Uh, the waves were crashing against the bow as it progressed. Uh, but as the night went on, people, you know, got used to it and they basically, a lot of people headed back to their cabins uh, to have a sleep until the morning where they would hopefully be pulling in to their destination. There was a few people still in the shared spaces, uh, but not a lot of people were outside on any of the any of the higher decks, obviously because of the bad weather going on. So at around 1am that night, there were suddenly some very, very loud noises, some really loud crashing, banging, uh, lots of like metal on metal noises going on. Uh, And this was all around the bow door. So all around the door, the visor that opened up in order to let cargo into the ship. And Everyone just kind of thought it was the waves. Um, so they basically just did some checks. They checked that, you know, all the all the little indicators that indicated that the everything was okay, still looked okay. And yeah, just, just kind of proceeded on because nothing seemed particularly awry, even though there were these these awful noises happening. And actually, if you look at the shape of the MS Estonia, unfortunately, where the what's it called? Like the head the headquarters where the, you know what I mean, the control room, there we are, where the control room was, uh, it actually was, there was a bit of a quirk where because of the size of the ship and the accommodation that was on it, the the control room couldn't actually see the front of the boat. It didn't have uh, direct visual contact with, with the bow. So they just kind of assumed everything was fine, carried on, no issue. But what happened then happened very quickly because they didn't realize anything had gone wrong. But basically what had happened is at around 1.15 a.m., the door and the visor that opened up in order to let the cars on had effectively been pulled off. So pretty much because of the impact of the waves, uh, because the, the weather was so bad, combined with poor design of the ship itself, combined with some other factors around forces and putting out stabilizers and flotation tanks and these other things Uh, but basically all that combined to the whole door being pulled off because it was just being whacked again and again and again into these waves and when the bow door pulled off it pulled down the ramp that allowed the cars to go in and what this basically meant was that there was now a ginormous hole in the like the whole front of the ship was gone basically and not only that but because of the ship's design, basically it just had one big open space in the middle of it where all the cars and the cargo was. So it's not as though it ripped off and then it went into a into a small sealed compartment. The front of it came off and then it went into the whole middle of the ship. So this was, as you can understand, absolutely catastrophic. And basically wa- water flooded in so quickly to this largest, flattest portion of the ship. And basically it fully capsized and sank within 40 minutes. So, and even in that time, in that 40 minutes, it had turned to 90 degrees, like in in a handful of minutes. It happened so quickly. And because it happened so quickly... And the crew didn't realize anything was wrong until until literally the, the boat was falling over. It just meant that people didn't have time. People did not have time to evacuate. They did not have time to prepare themselves for what was going to happen, for what they needed to do. And then as soon as the ship was on its side, either you're then in a portion of the ship that's underwater or you're trying to navigate a ship which is now fully on its side or even when it was listing... Uh, you know, you're trying to navigate areas which you can no longer walk on properly. You know, you're having to walk on like bits of the wall and and just, it just basically became impossible for anyone to leave. And so 
yeah, most people died because they were trapped in the ship. And so some of them did manage to make it up to the decks where the lifeboats were. But yeah, most of them just didn't, couldn't walk, didn't have strength. They couldn't like often could get upstairs because the stairs were obviously on the side. And so you'd have to kind of like physically like with your arms kind of like pull, pull yourself up the stairs. People just didn't have the strength. There was a lot of panic. There was a lot of small hallways that people just got stuck in. Uh, a lot of people died just from like falling as part of this um, or being hit by big objects that that whacked into them. And then a lot of people then died from obviously hypothermia, from being in the cold water and, and, and drowning within the ship itself. So yeah, really, really tragic. It was, yeah, a very small proportion of people that actually managed to make it out. But surprisingly, um, there was... Quite a lot of people that made it out that were on the very bottom of the ship, which is not what you would expect. Uh, and I thought it was quite interesting. And I had a quote from a good article that I'll recommend later on that I thought I'd read out because it explains why those people managed to get there from the deck. So let me read it out. Because of their proximity to the bow, they turned out to have had a double advantage, an uncomfortable ride that kept many of them awake, an early warning in the form of strange watery noises and metallic crashes, which for as much as half an hour before the list aroused their curiosity and concern. This combination helps explain why the hands-down winner of the entire race came from deck one. She was a Swedish woman, aged 30, who expressed concern to her companions and climbed the stairs fully clothed to deck seven, where she arrived presumably quite calmly and took a seat at least 15 minutes in advance of the rush. But yes, that also explains why people from deck one were actually some of the, the most people that did survive. Uh, the ship called Mayday at 1.22. It did have some issues being able to communicate where it was, and but it was able to, it, it managed to alert other ships in the area. And as I said, it was a very busy bit of sea. So a lot of ships uh, heard it very soon and, and were able to, to, to get to them they yeah they, they kind of had the vague location but then thankfully um, later on the ship did manage to communicate its exact location and that meant that the the ferries and ships headed to the site straight away so this whole thing started around 1am and the entire ship was underwater by just before 1.50 so some people that did manage to make it out to the actual open decks in order to, to get into lifeboats were, were able to do that, were able to get into lifeboats or, or get into the water. And then by 2.12, the ferries and the ships had made it to the, uh, to, the, to the area and to the site. So yeah, about 20 minutes after it fully went down. There were, there were loads of ships actually that came, came to aid because as we... No, all ships in the area must respond to maydays and must go and, and see what they can do and see how they can help. Uh, and a lot of quite big cruise ships and ferries went in order to support that. Uh, but the problem was, is like the weather was just so awful. It was actually really hard to, to get anyone uh, out of the water. And so often what they tried to do was they basically like winched down uh, lifeboats that then they kept attached to themselves through like a wire or a rope. And then people had to transfer themselves into that and be pulled up. Uh, they also coordinated with a lot of helicopters. So helicopters came from the uh, the shore, from the, uh, you know, like the crisis rescue people who then took control of everything uh, and they headed over to pick people up uh, to take them out of the lifeboats and put them on the ferries or to, to take them out and, and get them back to, to hospital. But yeah, shockingly, in total of the 989 on board, only 138 people were rescued uh, and one of those died in hospital. So 137 people survived the incident uh, and the accident claimed 852 lives. They did do an investigation as soon as this happened, uh, divers going down to the wreck to try and recover some bodies, but also figuring out what happened. And that's when they discovered that the door had, had been broken. Uh, and then what they could see was that the door basically had broken at points which wouldn't trigger like the sensors or the alarms. And that's why no one actually realized it uh, combined with the fact that they couldn't see it. Uh, the thing is, is that if, you know, if people had seen it sooner, they could have issued the evacuation as soon as you see that because anyone would know as soon as they saw that damage to the ship that people need to get off it right then and there. So that was a real, a real issue. What caused the 
very fast sinking was something called the free surface effect. And we're going to talk about the free surface effect in all three of us of our incidents today and I'm going to try and describe it again I don't understand how as someone who's not good at physics and never been a great physics lover has managed to create a podcast where I try and explain physics (laughs) far too often for my liking but I'm going to try again for another physics explanation if you think about you had like a cube think about a cube like a plastic cube and you filled it with water So if you filled that cube with water and then imagine like shaking it about, moving it around the water, because the cube is full, the water doesn't move because it's all full. There's no voids. There's nowhere for the water to move. Then imagine that little cube of water was half full. So you now got a cube. It's half full. And imagine you tip that cube of water to the right. What happens? Because there's space in the cube, the water will slosh over to the right-hand side. And you could do it now. If you have a glass in front of you, if you have a bottle, whatever you have that's liquid in front of you, hold it up, tip it to the side, and you'll see the water goes to the side. That's the key concept. If you think now of a boat, sorry, a ship, same concept for a boat, it has a very strict center of gravity that keeps the ship afloat. And the center of gravity should be right in the middle. And what that means is that as waves hit the ship and it moves from side to side, it then always writes itself in the middle because it's got this middle center of gravity. It can it can go, you know, the, the waves can push it from one side, it then bounces itself back. But the problem with this is that if the center of gravity on a ship changes, it loses that ability to rewrite itself. So if the center of gravity is no longer in the middle, it has a list, the center of gravity being to one side or another, then it won't be able to get itself back up when a big wave hits it. And so if we think about the free surface effect, if we think about how this ship had a very big cube in the middle of it, we then filled that cube with some water, but not all the way up. It wasn't, it wasn't completely full. It was partially full. When that ship gets hit by a very big wave on one side and the ship pushes to the right... What happens? The water pushes to the right. It fills that gap. And because then suddenly it's pushing to the right, suddenly the right side of the ship is much heavier. Much heavier. So now the centre of gravity is moving to the right every single time. Combine that with the fact that the water was like uh, lifting all the cars and the cargo up so that then when it again tipped to the right, it washed all of that cargo to the side. Suddenly you have a ship that is very much off balance very much to the side and eventually will just totally lose its ability to rewrite itself and will capsize. So that's really key. It's all about stopping the free surface effect as much as possible in ships. And this is why you often have ships that have got lots of different compartments in them. So if you have lots and lots of different compartments rather than one big space like a car deck, you can basically, you know, if one of them fills with water and it has a little bit of free surface effect, it's not the end of the world. It's not going to change the centre of gravity dramatically. But if you compare it to a ship that has a ginormous free surface in the middle of it, in the concept of a car deck, you're not going to have any good luck, right? So that's not good. And that is basically what happened in this point to this ship, to all the ships we're going to talk about. So my conclusion with this is never go on a roll-on ferry. <laughs> no, uh, they've got much better at it now, thankfully. But any, it's it's a generally accepted flaw that ships that have these big voids in them, such as car decks, cargo decks that are very big are more vulnerable. And the idea that, you know, with a lot of safety changes now, the idea is that they won't get this this effect and, and things will happen. But if you do happen to have a ship that has this type of design and it gets water in it, it's generally accepted that it's not going to go very well compared to other types of ships. If you think way back, we're talking we're talking years on the Alfaro, episode one, season one, episode one of When It Goes Wrong Pod, they a similar thing, which I didn't really realise at the time, but very similar thing happened. They, that ship, when it had uh, all the water inside it, 
similar thing is what resulted in it in it going. And I've got a very fluffy friend who's just come to say hello. Uh, so Juniper says hi. So yeah, so that's that explains why it happened. What happened uh, following the incident? There were a lot of conspiracies. People thought that maybe a submarine, had, like because it sank so quickly. People were like, how? How could it have sank so quickly? Surely something else must have happened. So there was lots of conspiracies around, like maybe a submarine hit it. Uh, There was a big conspiracy because it was holding some military equipment. Apparently, people thought that maybe the military blew it up or their explosives, you know, malfunctioned or whatever. But I think it's very clear now that we know it was done by uh, the free surface effect and the door coming off. Unfortunately, uh, because of like the sheer number of people involved and the where the ship fell, most of the bodies weren't able to be removed. And so what they've done now with the site is that they've they protected the site now. So there's now thousands of pebbles that they poured over it. Uh, and then many countries with people that have been involved were signed an agreement to basically agree that they would protect the site. No one would ever be allowed to visit or dive it. But unfortunately, that doesn't stop people from trying, uh, especially people from other countries that aren't technically kind of bound by this agreement. Uh, but it is protected by radar by the Finnish Navy. was the MS Estonia which now I've recorded it I told, I've talked for half an hour I probably could have done a, just that in an episode instead I've combined it with two others so this is going to be a long one so we're going to go into our next shipping disaster which was the TEV Wahini and TEV is some form of ship don't know something something vessel is my guess Uh, So yes, we're going to head around the world to New Zealand, back to the shipping disaster that I heard loads about. I grew up in Wellington, so I heard lots and lots about this disaster when I was growing up, which was the Wahini disaster. And this was and still is New Zealand's worst maritime disaster and one of the first disasters that were shown on TV and had lots of photos and and, uh, interaction with it, which is why uh, it's so well known. In 1968, the Wahini, and just for context, Wahini means woman in Maori, uh, was a big ferry that travelled between Wellington and Littleton. Uh, So Wellington is on the bottom of the North Island in New Zealand, and Littleton is where Christchurch is, uh, so it's about halfway down the the South Island uh, on the East Coast. And so, yes, this ship would go between Wellington and Littleton, uh, and it was a really popular journey at that time. Uh, it was quite a pain to to do that drive, so people found it a lot easier to to do that. And obviously, you had to get a ferry anyway, because you had to get a ferry from Wellington, from the North Island to the South Island, because they're both islands. Uh, and so this was, yeah, a good uh, a good option for people. Nowadays, this ferry route doesn't really exist. Uh, people generally uh, in New Zealand, the, the most common ferries are just the ferries from Wellington to Picton. So just from the bottom of the North Island to the top of the South Island. And then you kind of drive or you fly now. Anyway. Oh, it was a turbo ferry. So there you go. Turbo. Turbo something. And it was the biggest ship in New Zealand at the time. It was similar-ish designed to the MS Estonia, but obviously a lot older because it was the 60s. Um, But it did have a roll-on, roll-off deck where it could have cars and cargo loaded. So similar vibe, everyone. Now let's go right back to the evening of the 10th of April, 1968. The Wahini that night was carrying 128 crew and 650 passengers when it set off from Littleton to Wellington. And they knew that the weather was going to be bad. Again, it was forecast to be bad. Uh, But to be honest, as you'll know if you've been to New Zealand, there's a lot of bad weather. Uh, And especially that kind of bit of ocean uh, crossing the Cook Strait, which is the the specific bit of water that's between North and South Island. And that's because it gets a lot of winds that kind of get funneled through that, that area. 
And so they knew it was going to be bad, but they didn't know how bad. Uh, And the weather turned much worse than expected. And basically what happened was tropical cyclone Giselle collided with cold Antarctica winds, uh, which kind of created this, this kind of mega storm. And so as the ship approached the Wellington Harbour, it had to navigate quite tight route uh, in order to get into the port. So when you go into Wellington, it is, it's, kind of, it's kind of a few twists and turns in order to get to the, the bit where you have to dock the boat. And so the ship tried to do this. Uh, but of course, when you're in a storm, it's much easier to much easier to be in open water and just kind of, you know, bob about than it is to to try and very carefully navigate issues and obstructions which might be in your way. Back at that time, I remember back at that time when we're talking about steering the ship, it was much more manually steered than than cruise ships are today and and large ships are today. So it had limited radar, limited sensors compared to what we have now. Uh, A lot of it was done on site, which obviously was not going to be very good with the weather conditions as it was. And so the captain, a man called H.G. Robertson, really tried his best in order to get it in. Eventually, he was like, this just isn't working. So they then decided to try and back the ship out and put it back into the strait again. Again, better to just be in deep, open water where you know, you know you're not going to hit anything in that kind of storm. But unfortunately, in trying to, to do that manoeuvre and get back out, the ship hit a reef. Uh, and when it hit the reef, uh, it had quite catastrophic damage to to the engine. So the propellers ripped off. Uh, one of the engines was damaged, and the as it happened, it, it it damaged more of the ship, and it got a bit wedged. So at that point, the they didn't have much choice. So basically, they stopped straight away. They dropped their anchors and they tried to close all the watertight doors just to to basically sit tight and wait out the storm and hope that they could could just stay where they were uh, and then go back out. Yeah, so they just decided to, to try and stay there. They informed everyone at this point that they were that this was really bad. So rescuers knew on land that this was happening, and they were actually really close to land. They were not out in the middle of nowhere at this point. Very close to land at this point, so people knew that this would happen and could see the ship. But the weather was so bad that it was just really hard to do anything. And so they sent out like tugboats that would try and tug the ship back uh, into the harbour itself. And the tugs could get to the ship, but then they just could not keep the the, the like ropes in place uh, in order to tug the ship back in the really bad weather. So at this point, because of that hit, uh, despite their efforts, the ship was 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 filling with water. Uh, and because of the free surface effect, it started very badly listing. And so it started it started basically falling on its side. And so it was really hard because it was bad on the ship. It was it was listing, but it was really bad outside the ship with the storm. But eventually, at around one p.m. one p.m. in the afternoon, uh, they decided that they couldn't stay on the ship any longer, and the captain made the order to abandon. And this was quite a surprise to a lot of people because people knew obviously not like bad things were happening, but they didn't think it was that bad. Uh, so everyone got ready to go. And as you would expect in a storm of this magnitude, it just was really hard to evacuate people safely. So there were small lifeboats. They really struggled in the storm. One of the lifeboats flipped over pretty quickly and people fell out into the water. And they were actually close enough that a lot of people could swim to shore. But because that's, that route to shore was very dangerous, so there was a lot of very sharp rocks. Uh, so a lot of people died uh, in in this area, either by getting hit by rocks, by drowning, um, or some people actually made it to the shore, but then died of hypothermia before they could before they could get help. Uh, and there was yeah there there was some emergency help, but because of the storm being so bad, a lot of the emergency services in Wellington, it being a small town, a small city, uh, both now and then, uh, meant that there just wasn't enough people around to, to support it. But they did eventually understand the, the magnitude of the disaster and, and uh, the, the response was stepped up. So in total, 53 people died uh, as a result, like I said, of either drowning, exposure or injury from evacuating the boat, which, yeah, less than MS Estonia, but still high enough to be the the largest in New Zealand. As soon as the disaster was over, uh, they 
uh, did a court of inquiry to understand what happened, to really understand where, where what went wrong. Uh, and they found that, yeah, like I said, because it was the roll-on, roll-off deck, uh, roll-on, roll-off type boat, when the water got into the lower car cargo decks, free surface effect happened. Uh, it changed the center of gravity and it then resulted in the ship listing. Uh, the ship itself actually lay there for quite a while afterwards. Um, they did try and tow it and rewrite it, but that failed. Uh, but eventually another giant storm came in and pulled it apart. So that was somewhat handy for them. Uh, and they managed to then dismantle it based in there in the harbour. Uh, there are, yeah, if you go to Wellington, there's several memorials in Wellington uh, around that uh, commemorate this uh, disaster. Uh, and there's a big exhibit there in, in one of the museums as well. That one was another another one that I'd heard loads about, which was very tragic. What I find quite tragic is that that was obviously in the 60s. We've known about this free surface effect and issues with roll-on, roll-off ferries for a very long time. Um, and to be honest, it doesn't really sound like it was resolved quick enough, in my my opinion. But now we're going to fast forward to in between the two, actually. We're going to go right in the middle in 1987 and talk about the MS Herald of Free Enterprise. And surprise, surprise, it's going to follow a similar a similar pattern. Uh, this was a roll-on, roll-off ship and it was very much a ferry. Uh, it was, it was a, a shorter ferry, roll-on, roll-off, that basically took people usually between Dover and Calais and uh, it, it did. It just kind of ferried people back and forth and the hope with the fact that it was roll-on, roll-off just meant that people could uh, get on the ship really quickly and then get off once they got on the other side you know usually trips of about two hours or so but on the 6th of march 1987 the ship was doing a trip which was which was a bit different to its normal run uh, it was going from zeebrug in belgium i really hope i'm saying that right over to dover in the uk so what was usually a two-hour trip was a four-hour trip and there, there's some debate as to whether that kind of impacted some of the behaviors that we're going to talk about and what would then happen on that night was that it would be the worst maritime peacetime disaster for a UK ship uh, since the early 1900s. So, yeah, we're talking in this three of the worst disasters for, for, for the different countries impacted. The MS Herald of Free Enterprise had eight decks uh, on the night it was happening it was holding a crew of 80 and 459 passengers uh, alongside a lot of cargo cars trucks and buses on the ship itself uh, and actually it was slightly different to Estonia in that it had uh, doors on both sides so not only was there a visor at the front there was a visor at the back so you could literally I'm sure you've been on them you drive in in one way and then you drive out the other way which means the ship doesn't have to turn around whereas with the Estonia it has to dock in exactly the same way uh, in order for the the cars to come out the nose uh, but on on this ship it, it doesn't matter it doesn't have to turn it can it can load and unload from either side um, and these doors were hydraulically operated and someone needed to make sure that the doors were closed. Uh, so, of course, not a good idea to go out in the ocean with your giant doors open. It took three minutes to close the doors uh, once it was triggered. Um, and yes, it was. It, someone was responsible for it. So, actually, it was the assistant bosun who was responsible for closing the door. And the man who was responsible for the door, the bow door on the night in question, uh, had opened the door on when they were when they'd come in. But then he had gone on a break uh, and was sent on a break, and he had gone back to his cabin to have a nap. Uh, and unfortunately, he didn't wake up. He didn't wake up for when the ship was leaving port in in Zeebrug. And so, what that meant was that he did not get up. He did not close the door. Um, and so the bow door was not closed and it headed on its merry way with one of its giant doors open and the door led to a giant void, a giant car deck in the middle of the ship. And as we've learned, that's not a good thing. 
Uh, and actually, the the bad thing about this was that this is actually something that had happened several times before on this and its sister boats. But those ones, thankfully, had not resulted in disaster. But this one was going to. But that's the thing. It wasn't just his responsibility. He did not close the door. But no other member of the crew took any responsibility to check the door. Or if they saw the fact that the door was open, which some people did... They didn't alert anyone that the door was open. They literally just said, well, it wasn't part of my job to close the door or alert anyone about the door. So I didn't do it. I just carried on, carried on with what my what I had to do. And there was quite a lot of pressure. Like I said, it was quite a speedy on, speedy off kind of boat. So uh, it meant that there was a lot of pressure to, to get the ship going and to get it out of port as soon as possible. So yeah, it was noted, and it, yeah, it, it was noted in the inquiry that the two there was two men that kind of were identified: the one who overslept and one who saw the door open and did nothing. Uh, but both of them did very large heroic actions to try and save people later on. But that said, ultimately, it was the responsibility of the most senior officers officers on board to ensure that the ship was safe and ready, and they did not do that. So that includes the senior officer and the captain. They should have asked the question, do we know that the doors are shut? They maybe should have checked. Uh, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, it is the captain who takes responsibility for the whole ship and the safety of that ship. And so therefore, any failure goes down to them. So the boat therefore left with the door wide open. And it actually sailed for about 20 minutes in the harbour, fine. Uh, but then once it left the harbour into the sea... Uh, within four minutes, it had completely capsized. Four minutes, that's all it took because of how big a hole was open and how big the free surface effect was. As soon as the it got into that bit of open ocean, it was going at quite a fast speed. Uh, it, the water entered the boat deck, entered the, the car deck. Uh, it was so wide it, and flat that immediately had the free surface effect. It couldn't it impact the center of gravity and the ship could not right itself. Uh, it was noticed very soon after that, that this had happened, thankfully. So someone else that was watching the ship noticed that uh, it had flipped over uh, and and notified people very quickly and they could get a rescue quite quite quick and it was pretty close to shore at this point they'd only just left the harbor so uh, people could see it people could get to it relatively quickly but so it's quite similar to the to the wahini in that sense and that it was it was you know close to a harbor uh, and and people were there but just couldn't really do much but because it had it had tipped so quickly like the same case in the Estonia, people just didn't have time to get out. Uh, and a lot of people were then trapped in the portion of the... Because it basically, when it when it went on its side, it, the water was still quite shallow. So about half of the boat was underwater and then it just kind of stayed there. Uh, but a lot of people were stuck in the side that had water in it and died of hypothermia um, and basically weren't able to be rescued in time. So they died whilst, whilst waiting to, to be pulled out. So yeah, it, people just, like I said, just didn't have the the time in order to, to get out and to, to do that. Because why would you? You had four minutes, four minutes from them doing that to it basically capsizing and, and hitting its side. So th that's barely enough time for anyone to do anything. Uh, and what happened was it resulted in the deaths of 193 people. Uh, it led immediately to a formal inquiry, uh, which did determine the primary cause, like I said, of the door being opened. Uh, but it did raise a lot of issues with the crew uh, and the, the kind of safety procedures involved that were, were there. It highlighted issues with the design of the ship, which allowed it to get so much of that free surface effect because it wasn't divided into the compartments. And they did, again, there was lots of um, speculation, conspiracy around how how did it, it capsize and, and uh, list that quickly. Uh, but they did do a load of simulations where they proved that due to the depth of the water, it's quite shallow, speed of the boat, the design and the door, it could all come together uh, in order to, to happen that quickly. Uh, so yeah, really tragic. The ship uh, was eventually actually righted uh, and all the bodies were removed. Uh, and then the ship itself was uh, eventually towed to Taiwan where it was deconstructed and scrapped. 
so yeah it's all it's all bad it's all bad I was talking to someone I feel like I've said this on another podcast but I was talking to someone about how I think sometimes the worst disasters are the ones that you can really picture yourself in and so I think that's why sometimes when I talk about things like imagineering disasters or uh, you know like deep sea scuba disasters and you can kind of listen to them and and Whereas I find disasters like this very uncomfortable and very like scary, right? Because I'm like, this is something that could happen to anyone. Those people on board any of these three ships never thought that they were just going on, you know, a ship to to have a nice time and then this happened. And I, I think that that's what made made me quite uncomfortable. And I am generally... Uh, same with like my issues I have with airplanes. I find anything where like you're going to be trapped in something very, very anxiety provoking so it was a hard episode and when I started doing the MS Estonia I was like oh god this is much worse than I thought it could be um, because it is it's just that thought of it happening so quickly that you then can't do anything about it uh, which I find very hard but thankfully we've learned things we've improved we're going to end with some positivity uh, so as a result of the MS Estonia uh, there was better crowd and crisis management implemented across all ships uh, because of the MS Estonia as well uh, they have these things called EPIRBs which are basically uh, like alarms that when they hit the water uh, will go off but before before the MS Estonia, you had to manually trigger them. But after it, they became automatic. So they would, as soon as they touch water, uh, deploy themselves. And that meant that then other people could be uh, informed of locations as soon as possible, which is what happened in El Faro. Uh, as part of MS Estonia, they started implementing voyage data recorders, which are very good. Because of the MS Herald and the Estonia, there is now, thankfully, much better designs of roll-on, roll-off ferries, um, including the ability to compartmentalise them uh, and to respond to issues uh, as they come much easier so that we are now much, much safer whenever we go on these types of ferries. Um, and then also on the MS Herald of Free Enterprise, as a result of it, there are now mandatory monitoring alarms that need to be on the doors that say that the doors are open uh, so that other people can be aware of them. As we saw in the MS Estonia, it then didn't work because it then wasn't where the sensors were. But again, improvements following that one as well to make sure that they were uh, included. And then also uh, a lot more now of uh, video feeds of the different areas of the ships so that people can actually really actively see if any issue is happening but to be honest that said I didn't really realize that roll-on roll-off ships were quite as bad as they are and the fact that it had been known for so long and there's only three that I've talked about today and in my reading I realized that actually I was going to do an episode separately and I might still do so I'm not going to talk too much about it on a ship called the MV Lajula and that was a very similar story, uh, which was a roll-on, roll-off ship which capsized off the coast of the Gambia in 2002. So we're talking quite a bit later after these had happened. Um, and that happened for similar reasons. And again, it went down so quickly that it's one of the worst, sh I think it might be the worst shipwreck of all time, with 1,863 deaths estimated. But they didn't actually know how many people were on board, so it could have been a lot more. Uh, so that one was, was bad. So not only the three and that one. And then there was also the MV Salem Express, which struck uh, a reef in the Red Sea. And again, it sank very, very quickly due to the roll-on, roll-off deck, resulting in 464 deaths. So one that's kind of been hiding in plain sight, but is really sad. Uh, but thankfully, 2023, much better design, everyone. We can still go on our ferries. But like I said... Keep aware, know where your exits are, listen to staff when they tell you what to do. Um, and if you do hear kind of big clunking, water rushing in, act like the Swedish woman and run to the outside. So thank you very much. Let's talk a bit about references. Oh, yeah. So I want to talk about. So the idea of this episode was at first I was going to do an episode on the perfect storm which I'm sure some of you have heard of. It was quite a famous book and then it was turned into quite a famous film, both of the same name. The book was... Let me tell you who it was written by. Uh, it's called The Perfect Storm, A True Story of Men Against the Sea by Sebastian Junger. I've read it twice now. I really like it. I really recommend if you want to read a book about 
a shipwreck, in that case, potentially a boat wreck. I really highly recommend it. Add it to your list. I wanted to do an episode about it, but when I reread the book, what I realized is that, but like, actually, it's about a boat, a fishing boat called the Andrea Gale, which went off uh, fishing for swordfish off the coast of Canada, and it basically disappeared in this ginormous storm, what they call the perfect storm, when all these storm systems whack together. But that's kind of a synopsis of everything that we know because we don't know what actually happened on the, on board. There's no evidence of it. We don't know what, what went down or anything. And so the book's great, but the book is very much about all the people that are involved, their backgrounds, you know, their families, that type of thing, which isn't, which is super interesting to read and really sad, but very hard to make a podcast episode out of because there's just not enough content there for me to talk for now 50-ish minutes. So I'm not going to do an episode on The Perfect Storm, but I've mentioned it and I do highly recommend reading it. <laughs> it is it is a really good read. Uh, other than that, I recommend a long read by The Atlantic on the MS Estonia and The Atlantic did have good coverage in general of uh, the MS Estonia. But yeah, they have a long read from 2004 called A Sea Story, which was really like very emotional, really brought home the the people impact of the MS Estonia. So I'm going to link that. Highly recommend it. Also link a couple of YouTube videos which do some very good animations of the free surface effect and of how the actual shipwreck went down because um, it's sometimes a lot easier to see it rather than to listen to it. For the Wahini, I recommend the there is a website called nzhistory.gov.nz which I thought was very good and covered it in a lot of detail so I'll link that. Um, and then the MS Herald of Free Enterprise, I, um, they did, they published the entire formal investigation that they did, that the um, judiciary did over here in the UK. Uh, and it was a very interesting read. It's about 90 pages, but you don't have to read all of it. And it's, it's yeah, interesting to skim through. So I recommend those. So yes, no specific books for those three. But like I say, if you want a book wreck in this area perfect storm and there we have it thank you very much for listening and getting all the way to the end if you have um please do like i say uh, rate subscribe uh, tell a friend uh, please follow me on instagram at when it goes wrong pod um, or you can also email me when it goes wrong pod at gmail.com love to hear from you i love any suggestions that you might have um or yeah just any feedback your messages are really what keeps me going so please do yeah send some my way 